This is VLX number 73, Grain Fields with Jesus. We are in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. God give you his peace, in nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Okay, just a quick note before we jump into today's Gospel. Everything that you hear on the podcast is the same words that you're going to hear on the YouTube channel. And everything you hear on YouTube, you'll also get on the podcast except any pictures or videos. So all the words should be the same. So if ever comes a time when... You know, the YouTube watchers need something on the go. You can do this um, by grabbing it on Apple Podcasts. Or if you usually listen on podcasts and you want to see some of the visuals, um, you can always join in on YouTube and not miss anything that's already on the podcast. Okay, we're just going to look at two verses today of Matthew 12. Verse 2 is our word study. We're going to start with that, the patristic Bible study. Verse 2, and then we'll move our way into verse 1. I know this is reverse order as our Ignatian mental prayer. So let's look at verse 2 first. But when the Pharisees saw it, saw Jesus walking through the wheat fields with the disciples uh, rubbing the, the wheat in their hands and getting the little grains out. When, this, when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Well, let's start with the obvious question. Why would Jesus do something considered unlawful by the religious leaders of his time? See, this is a good question because Jesus is the eternal word. Jesus is God the Son. He is God. Therefore, Jesus equals Yahweh. But Yahweh gave the law of the Old Testament. So why would he give a law that he wasn't one day going to fulfill? This is the question we have to look at today. And by the way, this is going to be really important in next week's VLX as we look at this whole section of Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees about walking through this grain field. It's very important to understand the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, Now, here's the two types of law you have to understand that we're going to get into. In the Old Testament, there's two types of law. There's commandment-based law, and there is what Father Lapidus is going to call positivistic law. You're going to see it's not so positive in a minute. Commandment-based law and positivistic law. What I'm going to do is call that latter random law. So, we're going to talk about two different types of law in the Old Testament today. Commandment law and random law for short. Commandment law is the Ten Commandments. This is what we're all still bound to. Let's go all the way back in salvation history to Abraham, about 2000 BC. Abraham is walking with God. The law is written on his heart. He understands he is to do God's will. And he doesn't have all these rules about pigs and shellfish and everything else. We're going to see why that came from God, but why it was sort of plan B, what I'm going to call concessionary law, what Father Lapide calls positivistic law, what I'm also going to call random law. But Abraham did not have these random rules that Jews who keep kosher even to today had to do. Um, Okay, so 2000 BC, you got Abraham. Fast forward, Jacob, Joseph, uh, they go into Egypt. And even at this time, the Hebrews are called to be a light to the nations. Every father of a household is the priest of that household. This is the law of Melchizedek. 
in the priesthood of a Melchizedek, priest of a Melchizedek, the father of every family is a priest. Okay, let's fast forward a little bit. You got Moses around about 1300 BC. Everybody knows the account of the great miracle of the Red Sea. But then after that, in the wanderings in the desert, and again, remember, up to this point, every biological father of a family was the priest of the family. This is the priesthood of Melchizedek. But then the, the Israelites start to mess up so badly. These, you, know, you have these 12 tribes of Israel. God makes it so only one tribe becomes the priests. This is the Levites. So uh, all of the priesthood is streamlined into just one of the 12 tribes at this point. And these are the Levites. Okay, fast forward a little bit to around 1200 BC. Um, some of the Jews, like Joseph or Joshua, rather Joshua and Caleb, go into the Holy Land. And who do they encounter there? They encounter the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites in what we would call modern-day Israel. Now, God had called them to conquer this land, and they kind of do that, but they also get conquered in morals by these Canaanite tribes, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites. Well, God, at this point, this is a little bit after 1200 BC, God has to give them laws to put them into, quote, time out. Um, that might sound like a juvenile term, but I'm going to stick with it. God had to give them random laws to separate themselves from the Canaanites, and he kind of put them in, quote-unquote, timeout. So as God puts the Jews into timeout around 1200 BC, we can call these rules that he gives them, this time and timeout, the mitzvot, the 603 mitzvot. And these were the laws against them eating pigs, against eating shellfish, uh, for one, this is one of the things the Canaanites and them would have eaten. And if you separate people from uh, eating together, it's going to be very hard for them to mingle, to intermarry, and everything else. There were several several other reasons, but that was one of the reasons. But now, why did God give this? Again, this was sort of a timeout because originally the Jews were called to be a light to the nations, but they fell into the paganism, the Canaanites, and everything else. So these random rules to avoid eating pigs and shellfish, it wasn't that in and of themselves eating pigs and shellfish, this was offensive to God. There is a truth that they're kind of the bottom dwellers, kind of gross to eat those things. But God gave these as a concessionary law to the Jews for misbehaving. What's my proof of this? You got Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 25. God says, Moreover, I gave them statues that were not good and rules by which they could not have life. Let me repeat that. Moreover, I gave them statues that were not good and rules by which they could not have life. That's Ezekiel 20, 25. So the obvious question at this point, why in the world would God give not good laws? It doesn't mean they were immoral laws, but it does mean they were plan B laws. Let me give you an analogy. For those of you who have kids out there, imagine you have a 12-year-old boy and you send him to the neighbors to tell them about Christ, we'll say. you got a 12-year-old son and you, you send him over to your neighbors to tell them about Jesus and then he gets into drugs instead. This is in the analogy, Israel going to the Canaanites. Okay, back to your son, and then your son comes back, and you make him go stare in a corner or something like that. Was that a good rule? Is that what a, a father wants to be doing with his son, is watching him stare at a corner? No, and you admit that's not good. It's just quite a random rule. Well, this is why those 603 laws on avoiding shellfish and avoiding eating pigs and stuff is just random law, a.k.a. keeping kosher. But here's the thing, it was necessary as concessionary law, as positivistic laws, what I'm calling random law, it was necessary for God to give that to keep Israel separated from the pagan nations. Why? Well, again, 
Israel was called to be a big brother of the nations, but they kept falling into paganism. You see why this is this analogy to your son was supposed to go bring the gospel to your neighbors, but got into drugs instead. So you got to put him into time out. So listen again to that line. Moreover, I gave them statutes that were not good and rules by which they could not have life. Now, here's the thing. Let's fast forward all the way to the New Testament now. These 603 rules or mitzvot are now lifted in the New Testament. And of course, we have to keep the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes are added onto those Ten Commandments. But now, this is where a lot of Christians get really confused when they hear Paul talk about the law. Um, many, many Protestants and even a few quote-unquote progressive Catholics make the mistake of believing that when Paul sidelines the law, he's also sidelining the commandments. This is not true. The commandments are still necessary for salvation. So tell me what you think of when you hear this line from Galatians chapter 2, verses 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ so we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. By works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, a lot of non-Catholic Christians and a lot of loosey-goosey Catholics have interpreted this to mean, as long as you have good emotions to Jesus, you're saved, regardless of the keeping of the commandments. This is not how the church fathers saw this. In fact, this isn't even how St. Paul saw it. What St. Paul is saying is that you don't have to keep the 603 mitzvot, or these, these random rules. And this is extremely important, so pay attention. But Paul is very clear, you do have to keep the commandments. You have to, you have to keep the Ten Commandments to be saved. This is repeatedly through Paul. Look in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 11. It's all through St. Paul's writings, which is really God speaking through St. Paul. So, you, to understand Matthew 12 today and next week, you really have to understand the difference between commandment law and random law. Commandment law is required for all Christians and Jews. Random law, or keep, keeping kosher, was only concessionary law, temporary law in the Old Testament to keep the Jews from falling into paganism with pagan, pagan tribes. But it wasn't like eating bacon was inherently offensive to God. Now, at the time, going against that would have been breaking your relationship with God. Absolutely. Look at the Maccabees. Instead of eating bacon, they would rather be fried alive themselves. Literally, that's what, that's what happens to them for them refusing to eat pig. So these were great martyrs of the faith who are in heaven by avoiding pig, by avoiding eating pig. Um, but in the new law, it is allowed and the Beatitudes take the place of it in some sense. Listen to this. This is Matthew 19. Here's how the beginning of that section goes. And behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So notice right there, Jesus says that to be saved, you have to keep the commandments. It's right there in Matthew 19. To be saved, you have to keep the commandments, at least the Ten Commandments. We're going to see there's more in Matthew 19. But the baseline, the very basics of being saved, you have to keep the commandments. Hence, commandment law. Um, but again, Acts of the Apostles, all of Paul's writings, you don't have to keep the random law. Now, what does this have to do with today's section? Well, this is going to be super important this week and in the VLX, the next VLX um, 
But what we're going to see is the Pharisees are trying to hold against Christ our Lord. They're trying to hold against him this idea that he's breaking law. But this is where we have to differentiate between commandment law and random law. Of course, Christ would never break the commandments. Now we have this big question, but can he, the maker, since he's Yahweh, can the maker of random law break it? Well, we're actually going to see why the Pharisees are not only misinterpreting commandment law, but why they're also misinterpreting random law, or what Father Lapide is going to call in the next section positivistic law, these 603 mitzvot, these small commandments of keeping kosher, avoiding pigs, avoiding shellfish. But here's the thing. In short, Jesus and his apostles are not breaking the law of God, neither the Old Testament or the New Testament law. The Pharisees have missed the forest for the trees yet again, and they let their legalism blind them to the commandments of God. So what we're going to see in today's VLX and next week's VLX is it is going to seem like God's commandment and liturgy don't matter as long as the poor are fed. Kind of sounds like social justice warrior Catholicism, doesn't doesn't it? So let me say that again. Today's section of Matthew 12 and next section of Matthew 12 is often commandeered by progressives to say basically the commandments and liturgy don't matter as long as the poor are being fed. This is how social justice warriors commandeer today's um, section. Now, I've, as I said before, I try to keep VLX uh, politics free. Social justice warriors can still get a lot out of meditating here. I hope we all convert, including them. But the reason I point this out is because this section is so frequently commandeered by progressives to say, see, God only wants the poor fed. It doesn't matter if the priests go in, take the showbread, or it doesn't matter if if anybody goes in, takes the showbread, snacks on liturgical bread, and breaks the commandments of God. You have to understand commandment law versus random law to really understand how Jews in the first century would have seen this and how the first Christians in Acts of the Apostles would have interpreted this. It's not overturning commandments or liturgy, but it is making it clear that random law is subordinate to commandment law. That's what we're really going to get into next time as we see Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees on this whole walking through the fields and eating grain on, on a Sabbath. Okay, I want to do a little word study today. This is probably going to help those doing the patristic Bible study as well as those doing the imaginative way of prayer. Let's look at this verse. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. So what to picture here? Picture, picture yourself with Jesus and the apostles walking through this wheat field and they are picking the grain and rubbing it in their hands to get out the grains. The Greek here is telain stachuas. Telain stachuas for what we just heard in English to pluck the heads of grain. Why is this important? Well, telain is an infinitive of the verb meaning to pluck or to pick, telain. And then the next word, stachuas, that is the direct object of the noun meaning head of grain or head of wheat. So what they're doing is plucking heads of wheat presumably rubbing it in their hands to get rid of the flaky stuff, which I think is called the head of it. And then out comes those uh, little grains or kernels, which you can munch on. Father Lapide points out these disciples of Jesus must have been extremely hungry due to the apostolic lifestyle of poverty that they had been living. You see, they, this wasn't just after some huge meal in some big Israeli city. Father Lapide implies this may have been the only food they ate all day. Uh, because they were always on the go with Jesus, either in prayer at night or good works, miracles, and preaching during the day. But here's a moment of rest as they walk through mental rest. I mean, they're still walking through the fields, but 
Imagine the mental rest. If you've ever been in a wheat field, if you've ever been in any field, there's just a, a beautiful silence in a field. And so imagine going through these fields with Jesus. We're going to kind of uh, shift into the Ignatian mental prayer of imagination here. But everyone should be able to do this, even if you're on the patristic Bible study thing. I mean, imagine just walking through the fields with Jesus. Um, now, here's the thing. We know as Catholics that heaven's going to be a lot better than just wheat fields, right? That was kind of the pagan idea. Heaven was going to be fields. But there's a reason uh, there's a reason why pagans pictured heaven to be these wheat fields, and it's because there's so much peace and rest in them. Again, I'm not mixing paganism and Christianity, um, but I am saying there was a, there's this desire uh, in the human heart for this much peace. Um, think of the Champs Elysees. They, the French revolutionists who rejected Christianity, they named that one universe, that boulevard in Paris called Champs Elysees, which means the Elysian Fields. Now, this was a problem for France because they were trying to return to this idea of paganism. But the pagans, the best they could picture heaven was these Elysian Fields, these these wheat fields that just flow like uh, the ocean sun-drenched and, and the peace that you have. I mean, think of the movie Gladiator. Um, it's not totally inaccurate that he pictures heaven as this field as he walks through. This is why Gladiator keeps coming back to his hands going over the wheat. I think at the end when that woman says in the, uh, in the Colosseum, go to them, he goes through these fields to meet his ancestors. So there's, there's a reason pagans understood these fields to be uh, just super, super peaceful. Again, I'm not trying to reconcile Christianity with paganism, but I'm just trying to so everybody knows there's peace in these sun-drenched wheat fields. Um, I remember some of the most peaceful times in my life was walking the Camino. When you walk across Spain with no cell phone, no noise around you, except just maybe a couple other people talking a mile ahead, a mile behind you, walking through these big golden wheat fields in Spain was some of the most peaceful time in my life. Again, Christian heaven's going to be a lot better, but maybe pagans hit something right about the peace of walking through a field. Well, now, and I'm not bringing paganism, now I just want you to picture yourself with Jesus. Again, the field isn't heaven, but on earth. Picture yourself walking through this wheat field with Christ our Lord. There's no cell phone. There's no noise. Um, in fact, my suggestion for your prayer today and maybe some of the people doing the Patristic Bible study can even try just five minutes of the Ignatian imaginative way of prayer on this, is just imagine no conversation walking through this field with Jesus. So we all know the parts of prayer that's adoration and thanksgiving and petition, but today, just focus on presence. Don't ask Jesus for things in your life. Just focus on Christ's presence as you walk through this wheat field with Christ our Lord. Now, next week in the next VLX, we are going to get to this sense of uh, peace um, and how to make decisions in peace using the rules of St. Ignatius of Loyola. But for just this week, I want you to walk through this wheat field. You're going to do that again next week, but next week we're going to talk about how to make decisions in peace. Today, there's no decision-making, no petition. Maybe you don't even thank Jesus for parts in your life. Just imagine being with our Lord, uh, walking through these sun-drenched fields with Jesus. Is he at your side as your friend? Is he in front of you as your guide? Is he behind you as your protector? These are the things to set up just as you walk. And of course, as I've said before, there's no right or wrong answer when we're talking about non-doctrinal things like this. But this is how Teresa of Avila and Ignatius of Loyola 
taught their people how to meditate. So today, seek his presence, not his answers as you walk through this field. Seek his presence, not his answers as you walk through this field with Jesus. And please say an hour, Father, for me. At benedictio Dei omnipotentis, Patris et et Spiritus Sancti, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen.